The second reading today comes from Matthew 25, starting at verse 1, going to verse 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them are foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with them. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to, the, to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the doors for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day for the hour. Good morning, everybody. And it is a good morning. Thanks, Steve. That's a great morning. We're not here looking at fires, and we're not here uh, melting in the heat. Thanks, Steve. Now, could some kind person adjust those bright lights, please? Uh, unkind person. I don't mind who does. Thanks, Christian. Stuart. <laughs> yeah, I prefer the black hair. Um, let's bow our heads. Uh, thank you, Lord, for the time that you give us. Thank you, Lord, for the strength that you pour into us. And thank you, Lord, for the power of your word to guide us through. We pray, Lord, at this time that you'll multiply your power in our lives, that we will meet you and, <clears throat> and be faithful to you on this short time you give us in earth. Amen. Okay. Today we start a new series. So living in the shadow of Jesus' return. We're in a point of a season where, you know how shadows narrow when you get close to the cause of the shadow? But the further you are away from the cause of the shadow, the wider the shadow becomes until it dissipates. But when you get close to it, uh, I just think of a post. When you get close, it's the shadow is the width of the post, isn't it? Then it just gets wider. I see the shadow of Jesus' return getting narrower. You understand what I mean? Matthew 24, Jesus says, as Jesus was sitting on the mountain of olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now that is nothing new under the sun. The disciples were looking towards the end of the age 2000 years ago. And we've had so many people absolutely foolish people that say Jesus is coming back on this date X, Y, Z, whatever it is they don't know God's word Jesus doesn't even know when he's coming back but the father does so they want hints, they want a, a heads up on when Jesus is going to return and Jesus replies then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and you will be hated by all nations because of me at that time, many will turn away from faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Guys, I think we're living in our generation already. 
Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Wickedness and love do not meet, do they? They, are not, they don't share a pillow. They are not bed partners. They are enemies. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now, you've got to get this as a caveat at the end of this verse, verse 13. It's the one who stands firm to the end. And then in chapter 25, Jesus develops this. And he develops it through three parables. And we're looking at the first one today. Guys, we are in the times of testing and sifting. Not tempting and sifting, but testing and sifting. Jesus, <coughs> Jesus does not tempt anyone. But we get tested. Jesus will not invite anybody to sin, which is what temptation is. He will only invite people to flee sin. So what's sifting then? Jesus will test us and sift us. I imagine that when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, they were being sifted. The text tells us that they were able to carry some things across the Red Sea with them. They carried the gold that they'd taken from Egypt. But I can't imagine them carrying their beds, their lounge suites and their TV sets for some reason. Sifting is when you're being stripped. It's when you're losing. You're losing possessions, you're losing health, you're, um, you're losing well-being of some description. You might have your name lost. Sifting is what God does to create us into, into, into a, a pure diamond that he has in mind for us. Because diamonds have got to lose faces and, and be carved to be made perfect. So it's in loss that that which is perfect is created. So we're in those times. Christians and Christianity are being sifted more and more now. We are each living in a narrowing shadow of Jesus' return. Jesus teaches his disciples to now consider their future by their life in the present. For their future is not unconditionally guaranteed. It is not unconditionally assured. This is a warning to believers. We've been taught, and Calvin started teaching us this, I believe, in the perseverance of saints. Now, I can't deny that it's been taught. But without studying that doctrine, which I haven't studied for a long time, Jesus is not talking about the perseverance of saints here. He's talking here, well, sorry, he's talking about the perseverance of saints. Calvin assures us that we've got our salvation no matter what happens. Jesus is not saying that. Jesus is saying in the three parables that we'll look at for the next three weeks, the opposite. You all know people that have walked away from the Lord. You've had it in your families, you've had it in your friends. Jesus is not trumping human will. So he decides to, to teach his disciples to consider their future now. The theme of readiness Jesus has already announced in chapter 4, chapter 24, sorry, and now he develops it in chapter 25. The disciples were already familiar with two groups and the vision, the ready and the not, or the hot and the not. Jesus, Jesus had already started to explain that to them when they asked this question about his second coming, and now he's unpacking who are the hot and who are the not. Now, this passage 
explains the absence of guarantee without, without readiness. The guarantees the Lord provides for each of us is for those who are ready and willing to be ready for him, waiting for him. The theme of readiness is a good Lord teaching us to number our days aright or count our days aright so that then I'm going to understand that whatever breath I have in my soul still belongs to the Lord because the breath I hold was never my breath. People are body, soul and spirit. Breath, spirit, same word in Greek, pneuma, where you get pneumatic ties from. You've all heard of pneumatic ties, haven't we? That's just talking about breath. The breath and air, oxygen, spirit, the spirit comes out of the man. He loses his breath when they gasp and they die. If you've ever been there, there's a gasp when somebody dies. Because God's withdrawn his breath. So what's happened is that we have God's breath in us. Day comes when it will be withdrawn. Now that's a day so, somehow that God's got uh, locked in, uh, in, <clears throat> in how he numbers our days. But if I remember that the breath I have in me does not belong to me, it belongs to the Lord, so my time here on earth is for the Lord. Now, most people don't want to believe that at all, and you probably get arrows shot at you, and worse if you preach that publicly. But that's how it's working. Our days do not belong to us. Number our days are right. So I can spend my days in indulgence, or I can, spell, I can spend my days in service. Now, in Matthew 25, the customs of the, um, of the weddings in those days is confluted, it's confused. So I can't tell you exactly why the groom was coming late at night. In ancient Near Eastern custom, these virgins are bridesmaids, waiting to escort the groom to possibly his wedding feast. Maybe even his bride is with him too, but he is delayed. Now, we just don't have enough information on, uh, in historical records to say how all the weddings worked. So you can get different opinions. This is just a thumbnail. Note the maidens all seek the groom. Now, all those ten maidens seek the groom, but only half had fuel in reserve. Their preparation was poor. In my foolish younger days, we won't talk about my foolish holidays, please. In my foolish younger days, I used to have a little saying, which I thought was quite clever. Why do tomorrow, what, why, why do today what you can put off till tomorrow? Seems to make sense, doesn't it? Particularly to a 21-year-old. Nevertheless, at that point, I was not living out what was right and correct, and I was being like these five um, maidens, not ready for tomorrow. Now, I want to just briefly <coughs> look at the detail. The detail is that the trimmed lamps, five had their lamps in order, five didn't. You can't miss this imperative. Five had the lights on for the Lord's return, or for the master's return, and five did, well, didn't have their lights on for the master's return. There's something quite d deep in thinking about some had their lights on, some did not have their lights on. Note, please, that you can't rely upon another's readiness. Verses 10 to 12 are arguably the fiercest verses in the Bible for a Christian to read. <coughs> Excuse me. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, 
the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went, went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. And this is what will bring you to tears. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I do not know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. I do not know you. Those words terrify me thinking about it. I'll digress for a minute. Just go back to Matthew 7 if you've got your Bibles or your phones there. You've probably got your phones there, haven't you? I know that. Matthew 7, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching. <clears throat> he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell you plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Aren't they heavy words? Aren't they words that, that fill you with that desire? I just want to get this right. I just want to get this life right. I never want to hear from the good Lord. Away from me, you evildoers. It's interesting in Matthew 7 that the next... Uh, the very next piece of teaching Jesus gives is um, the wise and foolish men, those that built their house upon the rock and those that built their house upon the sand. And I think there's a reason why the Holy Spirit's inspired this in such a manner. Is that the person who is wise, who will receive, who will not receive away from me, I never knew you, is the person who built his house on the rock. The other person built his house on the sand. So it's about relationship. I never knew you. So back to 25. There is a too late date. There is a use by date marked on the Lord's calendar. And that date should, should, should chill the soul. The date when the good Lord returns or I'm going to meet him. Now somehow in all of this, the good Lord's got his calendar Probably got an iPhone by now, hasn't he? Or whatever he's using. And he's got the plans when things change. Because all our breath, everything we do on this earth is finite. And he's the one that's got the calendar that's got the mark on Jesus' returns, but Jesus isn't allowed to look at that part. It's all finite. Now, if I remember that these things are finite, I'm going to be preparing for them. I always keep an eye on the fluids in my car and on my bike because they're finite. And if they wear out, my bike wears out or my car wears out. They're just the normal things of correction and maintenance that you do to make sure as best you can that it will not get worse, that bad things won't happen. Well, it's more, far more important for our salvation. See, the wrestle is in the weight. The wrestle of the weight, the plot of daily life, is most wearisome 
and release seems too far off. Now, 63 doesn't seem too far off, but it did at 33 and 23 and 13. It was too far off to even imagine planning for it. So then we give up if it seems too far off. It just fades in into insignificance. But the task is still simple. I need to be fueled for Jesus' return. This is about readiness. The world is full of good and evil distractions that are, relent that are relentless to us. How many times have you sat down and prayed and you got a list of things, jobs coming to your mind? And each job that you hear come into your mind is more important to do the last one. I've got to get this done now. So the times of devotion are becoming robbed by the thoughts that I reckon the evil one puts in your mind. The temptations to get you to go and do things that are also important. He won't ask you to go and do something that's irrelevant. It'll be something that's very, very important to you to take you away from the times that will help you and prepare you with the Lord. So what is the fuel required to find this metaphor, develop this metaphor? What is the fuel that's in those lamps? Is it faith? Is it devotion? Is it practising of works? I'm going to uh, have a little bit of a speculation. You can decide whether it's accurate or not. The next two parables, parable of the talents <coughs> and then the parable of, um, excuse me, those that are lost and those that are found at the end. <coughs> My throat's going on me. Give us a hint. Give us a strong hint. It's about doing things for the Lord and doing the things he's asked you to do. So there's a sense there that what Jesus is saying about being fueled for his return is be busy with him and for him. Do the tasks that God's allocated to you. But I've got to be careful with that because I don't want to think that we're teaching works. I get into the kingdom of heaven through grace. But it's not grace, it's, it's grace that gets me in, but it's works that keep me in, if I understand where Jesus is going in this passage. It's pretty clear it is. But I want, this is a bit of speculation I want to do. I want to speculate that devotion is the first work that you do for the Lord sitting with him, drawing close to him, learning his voice, hearing his voice, loving his words, loving his presence. Because that's what heaven is about. It's about the being in permanent presence with the Lord. So what's, what are the, what's the fuel? It's clearly, as we develop this series, it's clearly being busy and faithful in the Lord's work that he has for you. But in my speculation, I'm going to say that's inspired and guided by the times I spend with the good Lord. Who's heard of Hudson Taylor? 
two or three of us. Uh, Hudson Taylor is, is a hero of mine. It could well be because he's got such a fantastic name. Certainly attracted me to, to, to reading about him. Yeah, Hudson, thanks. <laughs> Hudson Taylor, he's a missionary to China. Started the China Inland Mission about 1858. 1860, somewhere around then. Now, Hudson Taylor, he's in China, it's a pretty rough old place back then, and he'd get up, he'd go to bed, I think his habit was 9 or 10 o'clock at night, but he was always up by 3 a.m. How good's that for devotion? And he'd get up because he knew he needed a couple of hours to pray for the day that he had ahead. And then he got up and went and did the work that he'd been praying for. That inspired me. It hasn't inspired me to rise at 3am though. I can't pretend that. But he was being fuelled. Wasn't he? He's being fuelled for Jesus' return. He's being ready. Never permit that which is good to waste and never permit that which is good to be lost by neglect. Now the first thing that, that you learn that I think that's that's um, relationships. You've got a good relationship, keep working on it. You don't want to lose it. You want to multiply good relationships. Even though some of them take, take time and energy to work out. You know, this is good, I'm going to keep it going. At a more carnal level, there would be far less mechanics in business if people didn't neglect their vehicles. If people did check the water, did check the oil, oh, she'll be right, she'll be right, you know how it goes. And all of a sudden you're halfway down the freeway and the engine's boiled. <laughs> and you're up for a big expense. You see, just neglect does that sort of stuff. I never want to get that which was good, bad, because I simply neglected to look after it. And that includes my faith. That includes where I'm going. That includes the day I'll meet the good Lord. I think there's a little undercurrent through this passage or a little... Uh, Reading between the lines. Be eager to meet Jesus. If I'm eager to meet Jesus, I'm going to, be want, to, I'm going to want to be with him. I'm going to want to participate in life with him. And I don't want to push him out of my way. I don't want to turn my back to him. I want to hear from him. I want to relate to him. And I want him to reciprocate, which he will always do. So if there's a little call in this, be eager to meet Jesus. Now have a look at verse 9, the selfishness of verse 9. When I first started reading this passage, I must have read it, I don't know, I don't want to exaggerate, probably just half a million times, not a million times. Now, the response the girls give in verse 9, although it was very selfish, uh, no, they replied, we, with the, when the other five virgins asked them for oil, no, they replied, they may not, there, may not, there may not be enough for both us and you. It said, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Now, you and I are both at, at least understanding enough of history that there was no 7-Eleven that opened that night. There was no 24-hour uh, roadside petrol station open. So that would have been a hard job for them to do. Now, it seems if I've got oil in my, in my lamp... Why couldn't I pour a bit of oil in their lamp and they come in too? Because do you know what? Verse 9 is about faithfulness and wisdom. 
You can't give your faithfulness to somebody else. You can tell them about it, but you can't take it and give it to them. Please note, a bird can't fly to the, to the heavens on another bird's wings. It can only fly on its own wings. On its own wings. And Jesus says in the parable in Luke 18 about the judge that the lady, the widow prevailed upon to get justice. At the end of that, he asks, when Jesus returns, will he find faith on earth? And that's what he's looking for. He's looking for faith. Is our faith red hot or is it stone cold? In Acts 26, Paul says, Repentance is proved by its deeds. But remember, deeds are the fruit of repentance. They're not the cause of salvation. We've got to get that order right. So I ask, again, is verse, nine, is verse 12 the most terrifying verse in the Bible? Verse 12. Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I do not know you. I do not know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Now, on my soul, it's been in my imagination, what will it be like meeting Jesus? But this is what I've concocted, it is not biblical. But it helps keep me focused. Focused. But Jeff Taylor's going up to heaven and I'm not meeting Peter at the pearly gates. I'm not going through a ticket system that checks my barcode. The Lord's going to be there and Jeff Taylor's just going to fall flat down on his face. As in Revelation 1 actually, that's where the idea comes from. And I'm going to see all I can see is the good Lord standing in front of me. And I will see two pierced feet with scars on them. That's all that I'll be able to see. I'm just flat out prostrate before the good Lord's legs. And he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Maybe ask me to stand. That's it, guys. That's all I want. That's next week's sermon. Well done, good and faithful servant. It doesn't matter what I collect on earth. It doesn't matter in the long run what I've done on earth. It doesn't matter whether I'm successful or unsuccessful. It only matters that I got the approval of the good Lord Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to be the happiest camper in heaven to hear that. So let's get today right. Faith is shared, it can't be traded and it can't be given away. All I can do is say, here is information about my faith, but I can't take it out of me and give it to somebody else. It's not how it works. Now please do not permit another to take your light from you. 
Therefore, if you're going to not permit another to take your life from you, refuse to sit with the wicked and entertain their ideas. Don't listen to bad counsel. Don't seek bad company. Be discerning about who you hold as your friend. Because remember, what informs us forms us. So if I'm starting each day of my head in the word, I'm being formed right from the start. But if I go to work and I sit there to have smoko and all these other things are happening around me, they're saying things that should not be said. I've already got the fuel in me to get through that day. Can you see? Do not entertain the ideas of the wicked because they will take their light from you, take his light from you, and your light will gra gradually dim. You might not even realise it. Be not a pursuer of possessions or pennies because they entrap. How hard it is for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm not saying a rich man don't get in there, but Jesus, a hard, hard road you make for yourself. If, if your heart is set on pennies rather than the approval of the Lord. So refuse to permit those people who have hurt you. Refuse to um, <coughs> let sin be, have a treaty written in your life that you write a treaty with sin. This sentence is bad. I, I had checked it, but I didn't change it, before, unfortunately. Um, refuse to meet people who have hurt you to take you away from the Lord. Refuse to write, write a treaty with sin because that'll take you away from the Lord. Refuse to have that inertia that puts off till tomorrow what you can do today because that'll take you away from the Lord. That'll snuff out your light. What, what the Proverbs talks about is placing a guard over your heart, a sentinel across your heart, so that the things that will take us away from the Lord, things that will take us away from listening to him, things that will take, take us away from acting for him, don't get in. Remember, after the Adam and Eve were expelled from Eden, God put two angels with flaming swords on the, on the, on the entrance to Eden so that evil could not get returned. Because if evil returned, there's a tree of life in there and it would eat of the tree of life and then evil would, would, would live forever. The Lord guarded the garden. We need to put guards on the garden of our heart. Yesterday's fuel issued in spiritual momentum for the believer. You had good spiritual momentum. But yesterday's fuel cannot be traded upon today any more than the Israelites could eat yesterday's manna. Now, I've said that before, haven't I? I'll probably keep saying that because it's ever so important. It must be collected each morning and acted upon each day. And that was when Jesus sent out manna. He sent it out in the mornings. Give the, give the Israelites a habit of getting up, not sleeping in in, the, in their sandy tents. The food of heaven... <coughs> The food of heaven, as with the food of earth, fades. It goes stale, it decays, and that's what happened to manna. They had to go out and get it every day, except on Friday when they got double dose. Even the food of heaven decays and thus becomes lost. No Christian can trade on yesterday's spiritual journeys. So I may have been a wonderful youth leader, I may have been... Uh, a wonderful and faithful man in some capacity. But it's not how you start the race, it's how you finish the race that matters. And that's what Jesus is getting onto here. 
finish it well. So let's tie all this together. Live for an audience of one. That's a quote from an American fellow, a star, an American Christian star called Bill Hybels. Because there awaits the divine assize. That's an old-fashioned word for saying court. But I love that, the, the divine assize. It adds this powerful, uh, a powerful thinking in my mind that this assize, this, this judgment, it's, it's there. It's going to come. The divine assize, the final divine, the, 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 the great divine assize that's going to come is God's final act against evil. And there will be one final act and the world will be judged and evil, evil will be thrown into the lake of burning sulphur forever. So live only for that audience of one that says good and faithful servant. Rise, good and faithful servant. Be prepared, be persistent, be productive and thus be approved. Easier to remember when you've got alliteration. I like alliteration. Noise my wife. She's heard it a lot more than you guys have. Be prepared, be persistent and be productive. Thus you'll have his approval. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Now, if you're not sure what productivity looks like, sit with the Lord and ask him what he would have you do. Tomorrow never ends, but today always will. So whatever I've got on today, I need to be doing correctly today because when I reach tomorrow, whatever tomorrow I reach, it's not going to stop. Whatever I've achieved. Tomorrow proves the quality of a believer's decisions made today. So if my wisdom has been wisdom, I will reap the benefits of that wisdom tomorrow. If my wisdom has not been wisdom, I will, re I will reap the pain of my foolishness tomorrow. My friend who's coming to speak to us in May, he's a chaplain at Silverwater Jail. He deals daily I don't know how many he talks to daily, but he, he deals with people who now find out the quality of the decisions they made yesterday. Now that's an extreme example. But remember, what you do today will echo tomorrow. You reap what you sow. So when all is said and done, let the eternal word of God guide you and dwell in you richly, that your heart remains guarded and your body remains actively ready. Then all your tomorrows are ever better. Tomorrow's got no concern. We're always trying to secure our tomorrows, and that's not wrong. But the best tomorrow to, to secure is the one with the good Lord. Now, <clears throat> in my uh, preparation, I stumbled across this quote from Spurgeon. And I liked it, so I thought I'll, I'll slip, this, slip this in. Set yourself on better things than hunting for dangerous wealth. That's a warning. So let's tie it all together. The cry is for a constant vigilance, for it is only those who stand until the end who will be saved. Nobody enters a race in the Olympic Games and wins the first 200 metres and then dies. 
so it dies in that strength, not dies twice. No one enters a race and runs 200 metres, about a 400 metre, and it's a 400 metre race. The, the last person can win if all everybody else has dropped off on the way through. So, this is a parable of inclusion and a parable of exclusion, which is a great offence to the common mind. Now remember that Jesus always thinks opposite of the world, or I should say the world thinks opposite of Jesus, because his, his thinking is correct. Live today, guys, as if you will meet Jesus tomorrow, because we do not know when we will meet him, because the destination is worth the difficulty of the journey. Last slide, last slide thanks, Stuart. <coughs> You've seen that before, haven't you? You'll probably be sick of it by the time I've gone. But I hope it'll be planted in your head. It's always true. The destination is worth the difficulty of the journey. Let's bow our heads. Oh Lord, we pray that you'll keep us strong, that you'll keep us faithful, and that our hearts will be to hear your approval alone. Bless your truths on us this morning, that they multiply that they may multiply in our lives until we meet you. Amen.